Welcome to Conversations at Basecamp. I'm Noah. And I'm Kim. And we're the co-founders of Kihila, a private community that is a digitized and modernized women's resource group. Our content is designed to provide the universal core skills, confidence, and competence needed to advance and lead today and tomorrow. We believe that representation matters. On this podcast, you'll be able to hear some of the amazing conversations we have in our platform with an incredible array of diverse, empowered women. These conversations have inspired our own personal, professional, and financial lives and given us the confidence to step up and show up as our boldest, truest selves. We hope to spark fire in your soul, too, and help you on your journey to live on purpose and get in the driver's seat of your life. This is Basecamp for Women on the Rise. Join us. Step up. And while you're up there, reach down and bring another woman up too. Welcome, everybody. Thanks for joining us again today. Uh, this is a live podcast recording with Kathleen McQuiggan, one of our, the members of our community. So as always, if you have any questions, feel free to type them into the Ask a Question at the bottom, or you can write them into the chat. Uh, we're here. We'll take those as those questions come in and fit them into the conversation. And I'll also add, um, since we're in the um, era of a lot of people working from home right now, yesterday we heard Zoom went down. So just want to make sure everyone can see us and hear us. Um, if you can put a little smiley, happy face into um, the chat bar, that would be awesome. Oh, good. Ooh. Great. <laughs> Great. All right. So Kathleen, uh, welcome to our podcast. I'm going to let you quick bio on Kathleen. But Kathleen has spent over 20 years in institutional sales and investing and is currently a wealth manager at Artemis Financial Advisor. So welcome today. We're so happy to have you here. Thank you. And thanks for showing up on, on a hard day like today, too. Well, this is, these are the days you really need your community. So I'm happy to be here. And thank you so much for having me join your join you today. Yeah, thank you so much, Kathleen. So we always like to start at the beginning. Um, and we know it is very rarely a linear path to today. But how did you get to where you are today? Tell us your story. Sure. Thanks, Noah. Uh, so so my story, I, I literally fell into what I call the wonderful world of Wall Street, although it has not <laughs> felt so wonderful the past two weeks. I'm really out of undergrad and just um, knew nothing about investing and was interviewing for an opportunity that was very entry level, uh, but I just felt it was an industry and an environment that I could really thrive in. And so I took a risk and uh, joined a firm where I had two great mentors that really taught me so much about capital markets, investing and finance, and um, was able to be successful in my first role, was recruited away to Goldman Sachs and spent 13 years working at Goldman. Uh, and then um, after 20 years, kind of doing one role, but changing as I went, I decided to pivot and took on a more entrepreneurial role focused on investing in women. And I can talk more about what that means. And that led me down a different path um, that brought me into sustainable investing. And that led me to where I am today uh, as a wealth advisor focused on helping women think about creating sustainable investment plans, sustainable financial plans and portfolios, uh, because I really had this aha moment that, you know, at this point in my life, for me, the most important thing is how I can make a difference. And I just think 
women are the solution to many problems that we have today. And we really need more women in leadership roles. More women need to think about what they want to use their wealth for. And if they don't have wealth, how they can create wealth. Um, because money is power. And it's just, you know, we're at a point in time that um, women are going to be the solution. So I'm just really excited that I've been able to find um, find the right calling for myself. That's great. So we're clearly in turbulent times and, you know, none of us really want to look at what's happening in the market right now. We're maybe going into a recession. What, um, how do we stay financially empowered during these times and not feel like we're completely out of control? And what would you recommend? Listen, this is really hard right now, and we're really dealing with a lot of uncertainties and markets don't like uncertainties. And, you know, we we tend not to look downhill and remember there's just been 11 years of of a bull market. Um, And I would say there's been some shocks uh, that has made this downturn feel uh, very um, severe and turbulent. Um, I think some people, want to just try to ignore what's going on. And I really would encourage um, everyone uh, to just, you know, you got to take a look at just where you stand financially with everything that's happened. I mean, we've had some dramatic moves downward in the market. And um, I think we all just need to kind of be aware what's happened to your 401k. You know, what were we thinking for spending this year? And we might just need to, we're probably all going to have to make some adjustments because the reality of it is, uh, is that, you know, we've had a, a, we've had a bear market that has come across, come very quickly. And what we're now starting to see are, you know, in addition to the, you know, industries or events that are getting canceled, but companies really realize that what they thought was going to happen this year is going to be totally different. I mean, when you see a headline from the cruise companies not sailing ships for two months, you know, we just have to step back and say, you know, these companies are not really going to be able to be doing the business that they do. And that's just going to change all sorts of, you know, financial planning, stock valuations. And so, while it can be, I think, a bit overwhelming when all we hear is the bad news right now, I think it's just a good reminder the importance of, you know, having a financial plan uh, can really give you that comfort in knowing that you'll be able to navigate this and figure it out. I mean, I know when 2008 happened, it was um, much different than today, but but still, it we had a lot of lead time in 2007. Um, I was working at Goldman Sachs and we knew it was going to happen. We just didn't know when. And it didn't really unfold until, you know, summer, fall of 2008. Uh, and it was very extreme and it feels like a different situation today. However, uh, you know, this is going to take some time for people to regroup the losses they've had. We can't have people panic. Uh, we're trying to remind our clients that, you know, we do need to be a bit patient because history has shown us you know, you're never ever to call getting out on the top. And, you know, most retail investors end up selling at the bottom. And so um, this is where a community can be very helpful. And I think for women, we just need to be talking more about money. And if, you know, there are situations in your family, you're not comfortable doing it. I think this is where the community uh, can really make a difference. And, um, you know, I think it's just important for all of us to just be a, a bit financially aware uh, with everything happening today. You mentioned before 
your passion is in um, women in finance. It's a professional and a personal passion. Has that always been a passion of yours or was there a cataclysmic event that made it become more of your singular focus? You know, I've always um, had a great team with me, I would say. I had played sports growing up and, you know, six years old, dribbling the soccer ball around the trees in the middle of our front yard. My father reminds me about, you know, just put my head down and did it. But I always had great teammates. And, um, you know, once I got into the professional world, I, um, you know, was attracted to Wall Street because in some ways it was very competitive. I could learn a lot. Um, there were some great team dynamics. Uh, but as I started to move along my professional career, you know, I realized that there were some inequalities. And while maybe a, a man and a woman started day one on the same path, very quickly the male trajectory changed um, and the women uh, were not always getting the same opportunities. And so, you know, I, I kind of came at this a couple ways. First of all, I was a big believer that um, the the diversity and perspectives of thoughts around a decision-making table yield better decision-making. And we've seen lots of research out on that. I really felt that in financial services, companies weren't valuing what women brought to the bottom line of, of companies. And I think there is a very rich discussion out uh, there today on that. And, you know, I also felt that I could be very successful as a woman in finance and, um, always felt that a part of my duty was to help try to get more women into this profession because we need more diversity, not just women, but all di all dimensions of diversity on there. So, you know, I would say I've kind of always wanted, I've always been on a team of great women. And as I got into my professional field, I just said, there's a missed opportunity that these companies are not taking advantage of it. And I probably became really focused on it when I was given um, a change uh, with my professional role. I was relocated from one office to another. And when I moved to this new um, city, I'd never been here. I didn't have any relationships. It was Boston. If you don't go to school in Boston, people think you come from a foreign country. Uh, <laughs> but I, I said, well, how can I differentiate myself in the business community? And I realized there was an amazing group of women leaders that no one was convening and no one was trying to get to know. And so I, I you know, got the idea, let me work with these women leaders across firms. They were eager and willing to collaborate. And uh, I also had the good fortune of, at that point, Goldman Sachs, where I was working, was doing a lot on human capital. And so I was able to bring some of my firm's best practices to my clients. And gosh, this was probably, you know, this was 2000, so it was a while ago. And, uh, you know, I think we've made some progress. Uh, there's still a lot of work to be done, uh, but I just always felt that if we had more women in leadership roles, um, we'd all be in a better place. Uh, so Kathleen, a question just came in. What's the difference uh, with your ability to work on behalf of women now versus at a big company like Goldman Sachs? Um, that's an interesting question. Um, so I, think, <laughs> I think there is a difference. I think, um, listen, I think that companies are realizing that, you know, the research which has been coming out pretty consistently and my friend Jackie Zayner just wrote a great LinkedIn post that she's highlighted 650 research reports that you can pull up her latest post on LinkedIn uh, that, that kind of 
talks about the positive benefits of gender diversity to financial performance, to philanthropy, to gender lens investing. Um, and so I think the bigger companies are realizing, and there is a, um, I think a war for talent at the very large companies and those that do provide a great platform for women to be successful, I think are being able to recruit and advance women. And so at Goldman, I think it was a great platform. I think that uh, there were some senior leaders that believed it. Uh, I think the challenge at the bigger companies is still what I call that thick layer in the middle. I have a thick layer in the middle after too many glasses of wine. Wall Street has a thick layer in the middle. But it's that mid-level manager that I think is still a bottleneck. Um, there are some good programs, men as allies. We've seen some firms be progressive in deploying. Um, so I, you know, I think some pluses and minuses at big companies. I think there are lots of resources for companies you know, to think about how they can be not only recruiting women from a pipeline perspective, but I really think it's an upgrade problem. How do you get more women into leadership roles? What I have found at a smaller organization um, is that uh, I can set my priorities, I can pick where I spend my time. And in some ways today, I consider myself an invest in women advocate. And that really has three pillars underneath of it. One of it is I feel that women need to be advancing into leadership roles. And I'm involved in a not-for-profit called Forte Foundation that really is focused on um, solving that problem. The second pillar is women leveraging their wealth. And that's kind of my day job today. And then the third uh, really is trying to uh, recruit more women into financial services. And I have a couple um, efforts that I'm doing and working that. And I think the smaller company and quite Honestly, the portfolio of my life has given me those experiences to say, here are these three pillars that I personally want to be you know, living my professional and personal life by. Uh, and it's just a little bit more flexible when you own your own business than when you're working for a big corporate. But I think there's opportunities at both firms. So um, anyways, I hope that answered the question or I can yeah. dig deeper on that. Yeah, I mean, I think it's also um, analogous to you know the ability of the entrepreneurial world or, or business world versus, you know, politics to get things done. You know, I think um, we're seeing businesses trying to solve problems that government just isn't able to because there's so much bureaucratic red tape and, you know, businesses, especially entrepreneurial startup businesses like ours, for example, you know, we're able to be much more agile and, you know, listen to customers, act on it, as opposed to large companies that have, you know, bottlenecks and um, bureaucracy, even that's the same as the government. Um, so I think yeah. that shift I to um, moving to a small company is a really smart one. Well, what I'd like to maybe add on to that, that Noah, is, um, uh, you know, there's an interesting conversation out there that companies are having that I've been involved with some efforts with some senior leadership. And I think there is still a misperception that, you know, we, we have more women, but, you know, they're choosing to, you know, 
do other things. And I try to remind them that they're choosing to do other things because they do not want to work with you and your organization is not giving them the platform to be successful. And we're finding that many women are leaving corporate world to become entrepreneurs for exactly that reason is, you know, I do not walk the same steps as the dominant group in this, in that organization. And therefore, if I look around and I can't see people that look like me, how can I be successful here? And so I think we have seen a big shift uh, for women you know, not wanting to work in finance and wanting to go into other sectors. Um, some of the fastest growing segments among entrepreneurs are women over the age of 50. So I think there's that one dynamic. Um, the second, which gets to your point about, you know, societies and governments is this whole concept of, you know, the gender inequity that's out there today. And I intentionally use the word, you know, inequity because, you know, whether it's equity or equality, those are different words. Equality is everyone gets treated the same. Equity is you're giving everyone what they need to be successful. And, um, you know, as, as I have been, you know, kind of reading the research and looking at all sorts of data that comes out today, I mean, this is the most wonderful time of the year with International Women's Day because I have gotten all these wonderful reports on women that just, you know, my heart is sad for the stock market, but I have, you know, gotten encouraged by the drumbeat out there. And, you know, I'll give one quick example. The World Economic Forum does a global gender gap report and they measure the gaps on four principles um, and, and rank countries on, you know, how equitable they are. And they rank them on economic participation and opportunity, educational attainment, health and survival, and political empowerment. And the report came out, top 20 countries, Iceland and Norway are number one and two, nobody's surprised by that. But in the top 25 companies, the United States is not there. In fact, the United States ranks number 53. That score was 23 back in 2006. So we are going in the wrong direction. And I think that, you know, gender equity is important for investors. It's important for corporations. It's important for countries. It's important for policymakers. And society has the whole, uh, because when women thrive, the whole world thrives. So um, anyways, I, I could talk about this all day, <laughs> uh, but I, I think, um, I do think we are starting to see companies really understand some of the values of whether it's their environmental, social, or governance policies. This is the whole framework of sustainable investing. And gender diversity is a very important component, both, both social and governance factors. And leading companies understand how important, once again, it's gender diversity is one element, but how all data, all dimensions of diversity are really what's going to help them deliver better corporate performance, more innovation, teams operate more efficiently. Uh, we just have, you know, all positive things happen. And so I think there's really a shift in conversations, partially driven by boardrooms, forcing managers to have these conversations and more people realizing that, you know, the client of the future for myself is going to be a lot different than it is today. And, and I need to be thinking differently and really um, getting the best talent and that talent probably will look different than me. Mm -hmm. Stepping way back to the individual woman, we still have an issue with women talking about money with each other and feeling confident about it. Um, you know, why, what's your assessment on why that's the case culturally and what do you see that's really helping to 
to shift that today? Yeah, so I, I think I, I think one of the challenges um, and is I often when I'm working, you know, with a woman or talking in a group is just who taught you to talk about money. And if we look back, you know, within our own upbringings, um, you know, some some families were very engaged um, and can sometimes women say, oh, gosh, you know, it was my mother, my father, my grandfather. And, you know, we we talked about it openly as a family. Um, more than not, people kind of say, you know what, I hadn't thought about that. But, you know, money was either a difficult conversation in our household. Um, you know, there's a lot of uh, stereotyping, you know, that proper women shouldn't talk about money. Um, you know, there's a great article in the New York Times last March, money is power and women need more of both. And it really talks about how as women has made progress on the political front, you know, the Me Too movement, that kind of last hurdle we haven't really conquered is just, you know, having to be apologetic about wanting to create wealth. And I think we're increasingly finding women that, you know, want to create wealth. They want to use their wealth for career latitudes. They want to reinvest in their family. They want to be investing in a different way. But, you know, there's been some great research out of um, organizations like Fidelity Investments that, you know, poll women and say they're more willing to talk about death uh, or, as some people say, more interested to talk about anything other than than their own money. And, you know, my girlfriends, we get around on a Friday night. This week, we're going to start early after this market. But, you know, you don't grab a glass of wine and say, oh, my gosh, let me tell you about this great muni bond fund that my advisor just talked to me about. I mean, that's just those aren't the conversations. But but I think that's changing. Right. And communities like the Nook Online, um, women getting together. Um, I think there's a lot of power that women realize, let's sit around a table. What do you need help with? You know, let's ask for what I can, how I can help you. I mean, I'd love to do something for you, but I don't know what you need help with. And really understanding that, you know, the finances are an important piece of whether you want to start a business, grow a business, you know, provide for your family, pay for future education. And there's a lot of complexity out there. And that's where, you know, an advisor can help. There's lots, you know, a robo is a, a good option for some people. But I think it's really getting that conversation started, not being intimidated by it. And quite honestly, this is where our financial services industry, lots of room for improvement because, you know, we need to be meeting women where they are. Uh, I think we women are looking for help and our industry has not been welcoming. Um, and, you know, I can go in further, but I think there are some what we would call inclusive advisor behaviors that are important and we have way too much jargon. So I think it's important um, for women to, you know, feel confident that they don't need to know everything, but find a good partner that can help them make the best decisions. And with that, it usually requires more information uh, and just be open that, you know, you may not have the answer for everything, but there are resources that can help you make the best decision. And I think that's where, it's not always about being right, but am I making the best decision for my family or for this point in time? Right. There, um, Kathleen, we do have a question from the community that's directly related to what you're talking about. Is that, you know, for women who are not educated on how to invest, where, what are the best resources or where to start? So if you have a couple ideas on that. Yeah, I will. Um, I will give a couple of examples and you know if we send a follow-up resource page or something i can share the links of the research and the and the tips that i've given out i would say if you're a younger woman and you're maybe just starting off in your career um 
Capital One cafes actually have some money workshops that you can sign up for free. And I would encourage you to, um, you know, perhaps just attend one or you can, um, you know, gather a group of friends and maybe invite someone that you know that's in finance just to talk about some of the basics. I, you know, there are so many different components of your financial life that I think sometimes people just get overwhelmed. You know, investments are one part of it. But I think a core foundation part for whether no matter where you are is just kind of having, you know, understanding your own cash flow. So what's coming in the door and what's going out, kind of your spending plan. I hate to use the word budget because people think it's so restrictive. So a spending plan, I think, is just being aware as to where your money's going. And, you know, we all need to live by, you know, we're trying to have more come in that goes out. The difference is what we save and then saving is different from investment. So, so I think there are some, uh, I think groups that can help if you're very early on. If you're a bit later stage, I think many professional groups um, have you know topics that you can learn by. And I think today too is just the internet is just a trove of information. Um, there's one, I think it's called um, Cocktail Napkin Finance that is just really, takes these topics of finance and breaks it down in a very simple way. And I think, um, you know, just pick a starting point is just an important factor. And even if it's just, you know, as we're all going through a big change in financial markets, you know, over the past couple of weeks is just do that personal assessment. Where am I at today? And, um, you know, I, I really try to encourage women that they cannot have, a faith-based strategy in this. They cannot hope it all works out. You need to own this. And if you need help, there are professionals that you can hire, hire on an hourly basis. Uh, I'll share a link. There's a good um, online uh, financial planning firm called Facet Wealth that you can work with the CFP. That might be a good starting point for you. And uh, I know many of the women's organizations here in Boston hold in-person meetings too for people that want to get together and have a conversation circle around their finances. So I think this is something you can do with friends and um, wine and chocolate should probably be involved too. Uh, but you know, I, I think picking a starting point and, and just saying, I'm going to own this is really important. Yeah, absolutely. And it's a, a good segue to, you know, we, you and I had a discussion um, was late last year already, but on financial empowerment and financial independence are inextricably linked. And yes, you know, um, it's obviously important for a woman to feel like she could be at any given point in time financially independent because that's so mm -hmm. linked to her sense of power. What are some of the first steps, you know, obviously starting to have conversations but what are some of the first steps that a woman can take to become financially independent? Um, that are, It's interesting. That means a lot of different things um, to our community. Yeah. Um, but I'd love your take on it. Yeah. Um, so I guess a couple of things. I mean, there are definitely everyone's money is very complicated and it's very personal and everyone's got a different relationship with money. But but it is a limited resource. And I think that. Um, I do not have any children and both of you know my sister and she continues to remind me that I can't talk about raising children since I don't have children. But I think that it really starts with, are you engaging your children in conversations 
around money. And particularly in a time like this where it's turbulent and there's a lot of stress out there, um, most of the women I work with are all concerned about money screwing up their kids. And so I think we need to find ways that we can just, you know, talk about different things and whether it's understanding a credit card isn't cash and just, you know, money, you know, what is allowance and budget? I mean, T. Rowe Price does a study every year uh, on parents and children, and they find that there's still gender differences in parents talking to their sons versus their daughters about money. And, you know, I think the more that we can see, you know, financially strong women talking about just their own financial experiences and understanding that, you know, as a financial advisor, I think one of the trade groups says I spend 17% of my time on the actual investments for my clients, but there's all these other things that comprise someone's financial life. And so, you know, I think it's just taking that first step uh, and willing to say, you know, I, I mentioned earlier, like, I'm going to own my finances. I'm going to start with making sure I understand what's coming in, what's coming out. I need to be investing in my future. And that includes my retirement accounts. I mean, there's free money that many people leave on the table because they aren't taking their employer match. And um, uh, I've got a few pieces that I've started writing uh, that I'm happy to share that kind of, you know, what is financial planning? Uh, I know we've got a piece coming out in a few weeks on what's your number, which is always a very fun one to talk about. You'll actually find out there's three numbers in there that you need to know. Uh, but, you know, saving money can be fun and no one ever thinks that's the case. And it's just, you know, it. we've just got to change our mindset around this is, is you know, how I think about it. And um, I, I feel lucky I'm a single woman that I have been able to financially provide for myself and for my family. And I think women need to understand is they do face a different set of circumstances when they are doing financial planning versus men. And that's they're going to live longer. The wage gap exists. So they actually make less money. And, you know, because of living longer, healthcare costs will likely be higher for them in retirement. And so, you know, this is why I think you just can't do one uh, financial plan one way because, you know, people, everyone's got their own unique situation that needs to take into account. But anyways, saving money is fun. And I'll, I'll stop with that. <laughs> I actually had a, it was like my eighth grade home economic teacher who worked on Wall Street then was teaching home economics in our local public schools. And I remember it was really fun because, you know, she taught us how to cook. She's a great coach. She taught us all these things. And then we did a section on investing. And my mom, I actually didn't learn anything. Well, I learned stuff from my dad a lot, but my mom was like, oh, we don't talk about money in this house. And so it was so interesting to see this woman who was very powerful, yeah. had worked on Wall Street about, like, I think around 15 years. And she came in, she's like, okay, so we're going to pick some stocks, guys. And I want yeah. you to open the newspaper every week and let's track them. And it was, it became a game and it became really fun. And then that's what my dad was like, why don't we put some money in? And it, it was a really fun way to, to learn and to start getting excited about, oh, it's not, you know, there's the saving, which is fun. And then there's the like, oh, we could see it grow way more, um, hopefully, and not always, but then understanding how it works. Yeah, I mean, there are some core kind of principles and the power of compound interest, yeah. um, you know, is just critical. And just, you know, for women at any point of their, you know, professional life, they need to be, you know, investing for their future. And in some years, they're going to be able to do more than other years. And I mean, I remember when I started working, you know, on Wall Street, I had no idea what a stock or bond was. And, you know, I, I 
grew up in a household where means were limited. So if you wanted anything, you worked. And I started working when I was 12 and saved money. And so I had some good, I think, foundational components. Um, but I knew I had a lot to learn about investing. And it's something that, you know, I think there are uh, investment circles you can join to do it together. Uh, but, it, you know, women need to to feel powerful in the fact that we are all investors. We're investors in ourselves, we're investors in our families, and we're investors in our future. And with that, we need to be investing money in lots of different places, right? And that's the whole concept of diversification, which, you know, you don't want all your eggs in one bucket. And with this market, you know, activity and kind of bear market we're going through right now is the power of having different investments. So together your portfolio can hopefully weather the storm better uh, is really important. Um, so more to come on that. I love that. And I think, um, you know, we, we had a conversation a few weeks ago with um, uh, a PhD in positive psychology and talked a lot about mindset and mindset yeah. is so clearly critical in every aspect of our life. Um, you, you've touched on a bit of these um, pivots in your career, but we have a question from um, Gail in our community about, would you be able, a little bit of a, a switching gears, but would you be able to share about a barrier that you were able to move in your career and, and how you did it? Whew. All right, how much time do we have? <laughs> um, Good one. You know, I, I definitely have some, you know, tools and tips that I feel like I've learned along the way. And um, I'm happy to pontificate on any of those at any point. Um, and I would say a lot of them came out of learning to navigate a corporate environment that you know, was competitive and everyone around there was very smart. And, you know, I worked at companies where, you know, everyone was great. And so, you know, I, I guess one barrier I faced at one of, one of my corporate jobs, I kind of feel like I've had five chapters in my life. So this would probably be chapter number two, um, was that, you know, I came from a, I would say a non-traditional Wall Street background. I went to a small public school, non-athletic scholarship, and I played division one basketball for four years. And, you know, most of the other colleagues that were at the firm were recruited from Ivy League firms. And so, you know, I, I kind of felt like, how am I gonna differentiate myself in a really competitive environment with all sorts of great people? And I, had some great mentors um, along the way and some great advocates and really kind of was taught to think about, you know, what do I do better that anybody else does? And what's kind of my secret sauce? And, you know, I think it is always hard in today's corporate world while there's changes going on is, you know, how do you be your most successful self at an organization uh, where, you know, there could be, you know, challenges or opportunities. And I guess the barrier I overcame is that, you know, there were lots and lots of salespeople. I covered the most uh, competitive uh, territory. And, you know, I think I was able to differentiate myself by just trying to find some things other people weren't doing. And I didn't try to be like somebody else. And, you know, 
I was based in a regional office. And so I made sure I spent time in New York and, you know, my old manager used to laugh like, oh, there she goes again. She's going down to New York to do her thing. Um, but what I learned was that, you know, the relationship capital that I had, so my network, both for, you know, myself and for getting problems solved for my clients really became, you know, a key asset for me. And so I think, you know, taking this kind of concept of what I call relationship capital uh, and working on it every week and really thinking about this as, you know, how can I get smarter and who do I need in my network and how can I solve my clients' problems? I think, you know, that relationship capital mindset allowed me to really kind of say, hey, here's my secret sauce. Here's how I can help my clients be more successful. And here is how I can build up, you know, my own reputation and then my own firm uh, so I can get stuff done for clients. I love that. We actually just had a conversation with a woman this morning who our community will hear from in a couple of weeks who talked about um, very similar, the, what was it? Relationships before tasks. So building that relationship with people way before you ever need to, or even need to think about asking for anything or do you know, having them do something for you. But like, so they, they're real, it's a real relationship. I, I love that. That's well, and so you know, LinkedIn is a phenomenal tool. And, you know, I think, you know, I, as much as people hate to hear this, you know, every single one of us is a salesperson and, you know, we are not those awful used car salesmen that are just, you know, <laughs> but, but we're all, we're all selling something. We might be trying to sell an idea. We might be trying to, you know, sell a concept, but uh, we might be trying to sell our significant other where we want to go to dinner tonight. But, but sales is something that um, we all need to kind of be willing to embrace. And, you know, I thought I had a good network and I realized it was when I left the corporate world and became more entrepreneurial that, you know, I tore my network apart. And what I learned is it was awful, right? It was really concentrated. And, you know, I didn't have the set of people I needed in that now that I was doing a different kind of work. And, you know, so I think, you know, having this mindset of, you know, you want to always be, you know, giving something to your network and kind of adding on another piece of it. Um, you know, I ended up putting a whole workshop together and, you know, how do you build your relationship capital? Because, Today, you know, as a business owner, you know, I need all sorts of resources for my clients and my network. And that's my job is to solve my clients' problems and have people that can help them and bring them expertise. Uh, so I, um, you know, I, I think it's, you know, we're all we're all in sales and relationship capital is a valuable asset. So um, you mentioned and I know that you played D1 basketball for four years, which is pretty awesome. Um, and I would love to hear how you think that sports has impacted your business practices and maybe helped you to get where you are today. Yeah, I think, um, I think there's been some really interesting research. Um, Ernst and Young has um, done a few studies on, you know, if you look at the percentage of senior women that have made it to the C-suite, so CEO, senior leadership teams, a large portion of them have played sports in some manner. And um, not that you know, everyone has to play sports to survive, but I think, you know, you're taught teamwork very early on. Uh, you're, talk, you're taught, you know, how to be resilient and recover from losses. Uh, I think, you know, you do realize that everyone brings something to the team. 
you do tend to have to have a voice. Um, and, you know, I'm got some good advice that, you know, confidence is a choice. And, you know, it's, I think, kind of uh, having that confidence that you can walk into situations and you'll be able to figure it out that um, I think allow women to uh, excel um, in, you know, competitive corporate worlds because they've had this this series of experiences on whether it's the basketball court or um, you know volleyball team or some sort of ex, you know some some team experience that really uh, gives them I think a heads up to when you know they're thrown into a team situation in the business world that they're able to navigate it and I don't play basketball anymore. Trust yeah. me. At this age, leaving my feet, only bad things will happen. So I, <laughs> I, I cheer my nieces on in their sports. Sadly, they're cross-country Nordic skiers, so it's zero degrees out. Although my 12-year-old niece, I keep telling my sister, tell Riley one thing, basketball, right? It's inside, it's warm, and this zero degrees in you know, Vermont skiing, you know, the 15-kilometer race is crazy 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 so <laughs> love it so um you know there's been a lot of um research lately talking about um you know skills that women are lacking in the corporate world to excel and one of them being the ability to read a pnl um what do you think um are the most important business vitals um, a woman needs to know and how can women get them? You know, I know if you didn't study accounting, if you didn't study economics, you might not have learned how to read a PL. But are there other business vitals that women need? And um, what do you think is some, some ways that we can get them? Yeah. So, um, so I, I will take this from two approaches. I, I think, um, your your job requires you to be um, willing to engage numbers in two ways. The first way is, as you said, the very nuts and bolts. Right? We're all we all have businesses, and we also, as an individual, we all have a balance sheet. And let's start with that, right? So, if you're a business owner, you're going to have assets, you're going to have expenses, and I'll, I, you know, not to harp too much on getting your own financial life in shape, but you know, I think start with your own personal financial statements. And, um, you know, there's this thing called the internet and it's really cool. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, just what is a balance sheet? You know, what is a PL statement? Even if you just start with a balance sheet and a profit and loss statement, you know, those are two components of uh, a business that you need to just be familiar with. You may not be running the business, but you're probably on the team. And you know each business needs to be bringing in revenues, and they've got to understand their expenses. And then from that, you know, going down to like what are the margins of the business you do, and how can you analyze financial statements? I mean, there's a lot of complexity, but I think you can kind of start with if you considered your own business, and you're going to start with your balance sheet. Once that gets put together, you know, then I think you can, you know, and we can definitely talk more about this, but, you know, understanding the business you're in, then what are some of the industry challenges and the financial challenges you have? I mean, unfortunately, I'll just use an example that we're all looking at today, right, is, you know, if you're a company that provides some sort of travel um, you know, service, um, 
what your business was three weeks ago versus what it is today is dramatically different. And so now we're looking at, you know, well, how much, you know, how much are we going to lose because we don't have those revenues coming in? So I think it's, you know, understanding the dynamics, uh, the money dynamics of the industry you're in is important too, because some people, you know, have different challenges. If you look at retail and inventory you have to deal with versus if you deal with professional services. So, so I think the one piece is just, there are some nuts and bolts of knowing the numbers of the business you're in and why not start with yourself and make sure you understand your own balance sheet. The second part of numbers that I think um, I, I will add to, you know, one of the things I have learned along my journey, which has been a little longer than for that for me than some, is you know the importance of commercial communication in the job that you have uh, because you know we're all in the business world and it's important, particularly for women, to be using numbers when they talk to their manager or when they're in a group setting to maybe ask questions about something that you're seeing up on a slide presentation. Because I found just unfortunately, you know, one of the barriers that it took me a while to overcome was, you know, my manager uh, felt that I was not as commercially oriented as some of my male colleagues, because they were always talking about the business that they were bringing in and the numbers that they were delivering. And, you know, I used a much different set of language about, you know, the client experience and, you know, how I was solving their problems. And so, you know, I think this concept of commercial communication is very, a very important tool, particularly for women to be comfortable in talking about, uh, because I think there are some bias that, you know, if you're not talking about numbers, you're not delivering to the bottom line of your, of your business unit or your company. A good plug uh, to the audience to let you guys know that uh, we'll be doing a workshop on this uh, with with Kathleen, um, and I'm sure I'm not the only person who will um, put my hand up to also um, have an interest in the how to build your relationship capital. That sounds like a fascinating um, a fascinating session to do with you as well. Well, thanks. They're they're both fun, and you know, I guess just one last plug for just. You, know, you don't have to be a math major to want to be engaged in your finances or in understanding, you know, how businesses get run. And, you know, I think, you know, both of you are entrepreneurs and, you know, there's a whole other, you know, set of financial conversations when you're running your own business and thinking about your own funding and capital and more importantly, your own retirement funding when you are that business owner yourself. And, you know, it's just important um, to, you know, think about, you know, are you or are you not comfortable? And, you know, we can help each other learn this. And, you know, it doesn't hurt. I promise it doesn't yeah. hurt. I think it also goes back to your original point about, um, you know, being in a smaller, in a smaller company. It, it's also, and, and even if you're in a large organization, that entrepreneurial mindset is um, inextricably linked to, you know, your financial health and financial strength because it enables you to be agile, understanding your financial health, enables you to make decisions and be opportunistic and be responsive um, based on what is the reality. So, I yeah, I mean, I, I think I mentioned this a little bit earlier, but there's um, a really interesting research report that the Center for Talent Innovation did a couple of years ago called The Power of the Purse. And it found that many women want to use their wealth for career latitude. And I mean, I, 
you know, after 20 years on Wall Street, walked away from a very successful job and went from making a lot of money to making no money. Um, now, I jokingly say the psychic compensation was really good. But no, I, I, you know, I had planned and I said, I want to be investing in myself because I really want to, there's an opportunity to be investing in women that the financial services industry is not taking advantage of. And, you know, I felt come upon that because I was leaving Goldman Sachs. I was looking for an advisor myself and it was an awful experience. And I knew exactly what I was looking for. And, you know, this is where as an industry, I think, you know, we need to meet women where they are. And I think we're seeing organizations and firms really change how they're approaching and, and tackling this you know, but, you know, I, I will tell you that, you know, the first check I got as a consultant that didn't have many zeros after it was way more rewarding than maybe one of the bigger checks I got after an amazing year. And, you know, part of that just changes after time that, um, you know, fortunately, I, I was able to have a wealth creation event by joining a firm before it went public. And, you know, I not being married knew I needed to be saving and investing for my future. And, you know, I look back, I still wish I would have spent less money, right? The average household has something like 300,000 items in it. And I wish that I'd bought less things and had more money in my cash reserve to maybe, you know, go do some other investments in my own business today. But, you know, that's, that's all lessons that we have to learn and choices that we make. Absolutely. So last question here. Um, uh, just actually any final words for our community? Any big picture advice? Well, I, I, I would just like to welcome a couple things. Um, I just like to welcome all the amazing women that are part of this community. Uh, don't be shy in asking for things because I think we are all here to be investing in each other. Um, so that's kind of point number one. Uh, point number two is I know it's a really hard time out there now. Um, and, you know, just with the financial landscape, uh, you know, I like to tell folks, keep in mind that there are things you can control, right? What you're saving, what you're spending, what you're investing in, 100% you can control that. Some control over how long you're going to live, you know, what you'll make in earnings, right? Those some, not all that control. Um, and then you have absolutely zero control over what the stock market was going to do. And, you know, what are some of the government policies that are going to be out there? And, you know, this is a great framework on kind of this retirement equation that um, JP Morgan Asset Management has put together a great visual that I really like to show to people because, you know, sometimes we forget that some of these things are out of our control. Um, but that's where, you know, you've got resources and support um, that can help you when you go through some turbulence, because we all have turbulence both in our professional lives and our personal lives. Uh, but just remember, there's lots of other women out there that want to be investing in you and help you help you uh, along your journey. Thank you so much, Kathleen. Um, a ray of sunshine on this uh, in these wild times. Thank you for um, your wisdom and um, and thoughtful responses to our questions and our community's questions. Well, thank you for having me join you today. And thanks to all the participants that joined us as well. And um, hang in there. Thank you. We'll share some of the uh, resources mentioned um, back in the platform. And as always, the best place to continue the conversation is back on the Nook Online. Thank you. Thank you. We'll see you all there.
Thank you for listening. We appreciate you choosing to spend your time with us. If you love this podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe.